All right, here we go. Rants with Justin and Joe. Joe. 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 being used so like there's nothing wrong with a hammer if you're using it to build a house but there's something wrong with a hammer if you're using it to bash in some your neighbor's windows right uh, we need to prevent the field from bashing in those windows and we need to get more people building houses so well the I'm so, I just lost track of all of the questions they're rolling <laughs> in there, there's a few rolling in quite all quickly right. I'm gonna I'm gonna take them in order so what would you suggest for improving the field then? How do we as a field make the necessary changes? Uh, I'm really interested in Missy and Oswin's perspectives on that because everyone hears me and Justin all the time. Um, honestly, okay. So when I look at um, what I do with my son or what I recommend for everything, it's very much an ABA as a science approach. <laughs> Not as the intervention, but ABA is a science approach. Um, I still look at the antecedent behavior consequence. I just go further back in the antecedent and try and figure out, or not further back in the antecedent, but taking the, um, the behavior and try to break it down even, even more so from your five or six categories, uh, escape, such um, attention, yada, 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 yada. Um, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and instead break that down into like what we know about the core um, cognitive process that's going on with autistic people because we've got good research behind us on what's happening with our sensory integration, what's happening with our executive functioning, what's happening with our communication um, and really trying to figure out how that behavior correlates to one of those things. And then you're going to be able to better align your goals to what the child is trying to actually communicate. And then from there, you, are, you have automatic buy-in because you're trying to, and this goes back to self-determination theory, right? Um, Decky's work um, that talks about if your goals are aligned and you do more naturalistic um, reinforcers, then you end up with um, somebody that learns a skill and keeps their intrinsic motivation intact. And so I would love to see more of that happening within the field and just take it away from what we know, uh, what ABA is as... Um, as a therapy model and just take it back down to the science and correlate that with all the science that we know, the hard sciences that we know that shows what's happening in the brain. Well, I also think that, that we, we have to improve our training, right? We, we have to improve the training that we're doing and I'm going to peek ahead and, you know, someone asked, you know, are we seeing this from people that are going to online programs? I don't think it's really about online programs versus face-to-face -face or brick and mortar programs because our whole country just moved to online programs and we didn't really see a decline in, in the doctors that are treating us at the ER. Right. Um, I would argue that it comes back to that supervised field experience. And I do not think that, that the majority of BCBAs are currently being supervised to the level that the board has specified that we should be supervising them. When I, when I see you on Facebook, 
that people are reading random journal articles so that they can accrue their unrestricted time, that's not quality supervised field work. They need to be hands-on. Come, come to my house and let me let you deal with the tantrums that we have around a change in schedule. Or let me teach you how we deal with, you know, med compliance. Let's look at a shower that can sometimes take five minutes and other times take 30 minutes because the behaviors in the shower are so god-awful. Um, that's how you're going to get your experiences about learning how to look at the whole context because, you know, Oswin's points are right. What these individuals are feeling and experiencing does go beyond just that, that need to have, you know, sensory attention, escape, tangible, right? I had a BCBA working with us, Oswin, one time and, and, you know, Mac was having tantrums about something and he's like, you know, you're a BCBA, what do you think the function is? And I said, he is pissed off. He is pissed <laughs> off. He doesn't want anything. He doesn't want a reaction. He wants to tell you he's effing pissed off. And we all do that, right? This is why you guys have rants, so that you can hang, hang out with each other and talk about what upsets you. And he wanted people to know he was upset. And so, I, you know, but if you don't have the experience to reel it in and say, oh, yeah, that's right. There really isn't a function at this moment. Does he do that same behavior for other functions in other moments? Absolutely. But you have to have a skilled clinician that can recognize, oh, this is the attention-seeking one. That's the tangible one. You know, it's just like when babies cry. Mamas know when baby wants milk versus baby needs a diaper versus baby has a burp. How do they know that? Because they're paying attention to the cues. So, uh, oh, I, I, sorry, I thought sorry. that was all the two of you. No. <laughs> Justin, did you did you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. I, uh, another argument we've made against the field is going beyond the four functions of behavior. I just taught a class, uh, a doctoral level class, uh, on Saturday, where uh, I have them do mini debates with each other. And one of the debates was about uh, the functional analysis. And I 100% I agree. We need to look at uh, bigger reasons than escape or attention or, uh, you know, axis or, or, or sensory. I mean, clear that those are functions of behavior, but there's other reasons why uh, any individual, autistic or not, engage in any behavior. And so I think a good behavior analyst would know that. I think good behavior analysts, as Missy was saying, are well-trained. And so I would like to see that there's, I guess you have to have a time commitment to it, but that you're not certified until you can actually pass um, a performance exam. So not what you're doing on multiple choice, but someone is rating you on your performance. And we can talk about who those people rating are, because I think it needs to be from multiple sources. But yeah, I think there's a lot of training that needs to occur. I don't really think there's a difference of modality, but it's that hands-on experience with a qualified supervisor. And this means it can't be someone who just sat for their BCBA a year ago, and now they're qualified to do supervision uh, because they just don't have the experience. So um, yeah, I, I think we need just more training. Yeah, I 100% I agree. And Oswin, I love your point about getting back to the science because uh, I, I do think I, I love this science as a science. Behavior analysis as a science, I love it. Uh, it makes sense to me. Uh, and it's the first thing that I've, I've come to that's just like, 
uh, I had this aha moment for some reason and everything just fell in line after that. Uh, and I think people aren't getting that anymore uh, because of, of those minimal standards that we have that have turned into the gold standard. Uh, and there's lots of different reasons for that. I think insurance funding is one of them uh, that's kind of driving that board certified behavior analyst as the gold standard, as opposed to the minimum standard, which we all know is the minimum standard. Uh, I think Bob Ross has, has uh, a story about when uh, people are graduating and they get their certification, they're like, they get their hand shook and it's like, congratulations on hitting the minimum standards. It's like <laughs> we, need, we need as a field to know that that's a minimum standard and work with whatever those contingencies are that are driving it to be the gold standard. Oh my goodness, there are, <laughs> holy yeah. smokes, uh, 13 questions. All right, let's hop into these. Um, wasn't there a phase where the need for more BCBAs was so emphasized that it may have been the cause for the broken filter? meaning anyone who completed the coursework and passed the test got the shield, so to speak, uh, regardless of the ability to apply the uh, behavior analysis. So the need for higher BCBAs equaling poor quality. I would say yes. <laughs> I think all of us would say yes, <laughs> because the boom from the time, like Missy, you, You've been here far longer than I've been alive. <laughs> and I have the wrinkles to prove it. But <laughs> uh, even in the 13 years that I've had a child that's diagnosed and all that, it was incredibly hard for DCF to find BCBAs at that point to come into our home and train me to train to figure out how to do things with Daniel. And now I can toss a coin and <laughs> I can hit a BCBA. Um, like I know several people that their siblings just graduated from college. Like my, my youngest kid's friends, parents. And it's like, you couldn't have seen this 10 years ago. But as insurance coverage was mandated in all the states, then suddenly, boom, you have to have this whole, you have to have more people. And now we're not even seeing BCBAs doing most of the training or most of the um, ABA, which I don't even agree with ABA as a practice on autistic kids. Like from, a th from the therapy standpoint, there's a lot wrong. But like, um, like I said, I like it as a science. I don't like it as a therapy. <laughs> but now all you see is RBTs. You don't see, like, there's min even minimal um, supervision on the RBTs on top of that. Um, and I know, Justin, that you have great paper on it. Um, so, like, uh, yes, I, I really wish there was more emphasis on what we're doing to make sure that we are having people know what they're doing with kids. Mm -hmm. I, I think since we're all in total agreement <laughs> here, uh, I'm going to jump to the next question that I think I admit, all of these are following a, a very similar theme. Um, this one is how do we ensure that people supervising aren't causing trauma and training others to cause trauma in the name of helping? It's a great question. Um, so I... I have three different levels of this and I'm going to let Missy go first 
so that she can answer and then I will go into my very, very long rant. <laughs> well, mine's going to be a short response. I, it comes back to, we have to tighten up the criteria as to who can supervise. And if you have some sort of experience proof that you pass some experience standard, then you're eligible to supervise, but you have to meet those competencies first. And right now, all you have to do is take an eight hour class, right? And you're qualified. And they're leaving it to the person to say, oh yeah, supervision is in my scope when we know full well it's not. So I think we have to tighten up who we allow to supervise and come up with some demonstration that you have those uh, supervisory uh, skill sets. So I think when we're talking about trauma and ABA as it's practiced with autistic kids, and I'm wanting to be explicit there because I, I've just gotten through saying I really love ABA as a science. So I want to be very explicit with that. Um, that when we get into our, um, into pairing the ways that we pair um, are very, especially with such young children are very, very um, innately grooming. Um, and that doesn't mean that the BCBA or the RBT is planning on abusing that child. But what it does is open up that um, expectation of, whoever's an authority figure is somebody that's going that I have to follow their rules. And so that gets into why we have such high rates of, um, of sexual abuse um, and abuse in general once you get into adult years because you have that baseline of a person is taught to always respect authority. And if you can't determine who is authority figure anymore, especially as an adult, because there isn't one, but there always is one. Does that make sense? Like your spouse, is your spouse going to be a um, authority figure to you? Well, some religion says yes. Um, uh, your boss is always going to be. Like all these situations where you end up getting into a an area where somebody is um, asserting control over you, you have another avenue of opening the person up to abuse. So like the, the entire way that ABA goes about pairing um, does that. Now, then we have the secondary problem of um, since, and now I'm not pro-aversives, but since we've gotten away from physical aversives, we've gone to psychological aversives with um, planned ignoring. And we can go back to um, the still, um, still face um, research on what it, that does to cortisol levels in infants when, they're, when they're mar their parent or mother um, stops looking at them, stops interacting with them, um, and doesn't engage with them. And that how that is innately traumatic and how that um, over time affects the way that you um, perceive interactions with everyone and, um, and what, what that does to um, cause more anxiety in a person and looking for more ways to, to just help yourself, right? Stay calm, like regulate, because that's what happens um, like from a chemical standpoint. And so I think that we need to get away from looking at these things as ways to teach these skills and go back to our more, go back to what would happen in a natural environment, but, uh, and 
do more of our praising and less of a and um, give positive reinforcement and positive um, feedback and do, using that as a way of um, and matching that original goal. What is it the goal? What is the goal of that behavior? Um, so that we can make sure that we are aligning that BCBAs are aligning their goals with the child's goals. And most of this is going to come back to, um, to recognizing that communication is important and being able to give those means of communication um, and doing it in a very positive way that is automatically reinforcing um, and get away from what we know damages um, the psyche because we've got uh, research that proves that um, easily. Um, hard science that proves that. So yeah. Can I address a comment that came in related to supervision since we're still kind of on that supervision piece? Is it the next um, one? No, it's in the chat actually. So, so the question is where, where do we get those competencies? So when I teach the eight hour supervision course, I break it down into two different um, days because it's eight hours is a lot to do in one day. So the first three hours, we talk about the ethical responsibilities around supervision because a lot of people um, go into it not fully understanding all the responsibilities and things that it entails. Then the next five hours, so the board requires us to give a certificate that says that someone has taken and passed the eight-hour course. And so for the passing part, or you can't see my fingers, I'm quoting, air quoting, for the <laughs> passing part, um, I require my participants to um, engage in those behaviors. So we put up a series of case studies, different supervision experiences and different th things that you might encounter as a BCBA. And can you, you know, ethically and clinically give feedback to that future BCBA um, in my course? And at that point, then, you know, I issue that pass. And so I think it is very possible to take the, the, the BACB 2.0 curriculum and look at those skills and things that you're supposed to cover and put them into measurable objectives that you can actually see your supervisee engaging in. Sorry. I, I want to jump in here. There was a question that I put that we answered that we didn't. It was, do you think BCBAs have some type of super, should have some type of supervision after they pass the exam? I think we can absolutely. All say, Absolutely. 100%. So that question yeah. wasn't dismissed. Uh, okay. Sorry, Justin, you were going to say something? Yeah. I mean, I think what we're describing here goes back to what is good ABA, right? And what is bad ABA. And I think in good ABA, once again, you are working with the um, social validity. So it's important to the consumer, the consumer being the child. You are teaching what is meaningful to the child and the family. I think where I've seen uh, divergence maybe, and I'm not sure if it is really or not in at least social media uh, posts and stuff is uh, a little bit on goal selection uh, and, and what goals you do. So I think Oswin brought up authority figures. I, from my perspective, I think initially we do teach you to listen to teachers or adults. Uh, the same that I would do, that I do do for my four-year-old and six-year-old, they have to kind of listen to me or they have to listen to Miss Debbie 
uh, who's our nanny now for, and probably our teacher since we're not putting our kids back in school because of COVID, uh, they have to listen to her. But then I think what you have to do as a good ABA is really right pretty early, teach them what things you should be listening to and what things are like not appropriate to listen to. What are, what, are, what we would say are not cool and teach them negation and teach them to speak up for themselves and to be advocates for themselves and say, I don't want to do that and be okay with that. I think what happens with bad ABA, once again, is you see, you know, you, the teacher, the therapist, the BCBA, whatever, RBT says, you have to do this and the, and the kid has to comply. And it's 100% compliance all the time. And I just don't see that. I see that happening. I'm not going to deny that doesn't happen. But if I see that happening, if I'm out consulting or supervising or evaluating, that's really a sign of bad ABA. Because what you have to do is like when a teacher asks you, like, could you do whatever, uh, there's rules that kids have to follow just as being a child. And there's rules that they don't have to follow. And we really have to teach the children those rules and how to speak up for themselves. So I think that's more of a sign of a good ABA. So I know one of the questions there, is it the therapy that's bad or is it the people implementing the intervention that's bad? Um, I think it's the people implementing the intervention that make it really crappy in honesty. I think, if, I think what Oswin is saying today and what Missy's been saying today, and you know, it's more making Oswin's perspective since it's really the second time I've met him, um, is that it's just, if you have good intervention and you're aligned with what the child wants and you're aligned um, with meaningful goals and stuff like that, and, and you have flexibility and you're not being rigid, I think that's pretty good. And I think uh, you won't have that emotional damage that was being talked about. I'm, I'm in 100% agreement with that. Um, and we go back, there was a question on uh, in the chat uh, before all these questions came in that I wanna make sure gets answered. It's how would you recommend to relearn about what autistic people experience. There's actually a whole lot of really good research coming out um, in the past two or three years on, um, on social experiences with autistic people and how those look and how much um, it helps us interrelate and um, that a lot of things with autistic people like uh, there's uh, one of my favorite ones, and I'm going to pull this up. Um, give me a second. Uh, here we go. Um, that looks at neurodivergent interest. No, not that one. Um, I have a lot of tabs open. I always have a lot of tabs open. Ignore me. <laughs> uh, ignore the fact that I always have tabs open. For I, I tend to link people a lot. Okay, here we go. Um, thin slice judgment on, um, oh, and that's neurotypical facial expressions. I'm sorry. Um, I appreciate you it, putting that in the chat because I was going to ask you to put yes, whatever you're yes, referencing yes. in there. I'm, I'm you're already pretty, on it. I am pretty used to this um, because it's what I do uh, for my lives. Um, uh, this one is the one, the nature one, um, that neurotypical peers are automatically less willing to um, interact with uh, autistic people as soon as they see us. Research confirmed. However, when they are given a writing sample, this research goes into, of an autistic person, they're more likely to want to be our friends before they ever physically see us and interact with us. So like this has a lot to do with what is 
what is it about autistic people? What, what is it about the way we look that makes people not want to be friends with us? Um, which if you, so if you go into these holes of, of what it, what the autistic uh, social experience is, um, and there is good research out there, the, these two, and then um, there's more that's come out in the past few years. Um, but it makes it really clear that, um, that shockingly, social interaction is a two-way street. Uh, you would never think it, right? Because we don't interact with another person, do we? Uh, but we do. And so we need, so we want to make sure that we are focusing or that when we're looking at, um, what is your, your word? Social validity, is it in ABA? Is that the phrase? Mm -hmm. um, yes. Yep. <laughs> Um, that we are looking at what the social validity is for our near typical peers interacting with us too. Like we want to make sure that we're giving a two-way street because um, there's nothing inherently wrong with the way that autistic people interact. It's just different. Um, there's not a problem. Like I don't give eye contact. There's a whole lot of people in non-Western roles. And actually that's a different study. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, I, I go study heavy because I love science. Um, You're in good company here, I think. Uh, stretching the social um, broadening behavior, behavioral indicators of sociality because um, it's only really in Western culture that we look at eye contact as a primary source of uh, social interaction. A lot of joint attention is object-oriented instead of person-oriented. So, um, so like, we don't want, do we really want to have that as, a, as our subjective measure of whether or not an autistic person is engaged when it's not even a social, um, cue in a lot of cultures that aren't in the Western world, you know? And so, like, this gets back into, um, Somebody's asking the question on uh, the how do we um, tighten ABA without putting, oh, no, I guess it doesn't, but it, but um, recognizing that um, marginalized people are going, or are going to innately um, have things within their own um, culture that are not going to line up with what ABA is trying to teach as well. Um, I got off subject, I think. <laughs> no, it's, the, the beauty of this is there is no off subject. It's supposed to be an open discussion so we can flow. But I'm realizing we have eight minutes left and there are 23 <laughs> questions. So I think for the sake of time and the discussion, I'm, uh, there's some questions that are related to the current conversation. So I'm going to try to work those in. So okay. it looks like there's some people want some expansions on okay. things. Um, so I apologize if I don't get to all the questions, but just there's no way. We might have to just do a part two of this. Um, but hey, there's one that and, says... And Joe, while you're filtering through those, um, I just looked ahead and saw the question about Fox. So it sounds like you're endorsing Fox. I feel like Justin referenced him and then I brought up the quote that, that he made. Um, and so the question was, how do you reconcile abusive treatment such as what was found in that research paper to where ABA is today? And, and so we currently use a toilet training protocol based on the original Azrin and Fox. We have since modified it based on a number of other studies that came out since then. For example, we don't have our clients sit for five minutes. I think it's very uncomfortable to sit for five minutes when you're 
not really producing. And so we look at, you know, maybe a 30 second set or a minute set because our goal is to try to teach them that this is where the product goes. Um, and we certainly, you know, aren't smacking kids or even giving the, the yelling feedback when there's an accident because you can, you can give the feedback that there was an accident and then we didn't do the right thing in a kind way, such as, oh, uh-oh, poop goes in the potty, right? Um, and so, again, it comes back to picking up the research paper and implementing it exactly like you read it or being able to take it and apply it to the way that we know how to do ABA today. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to scroll through, and thank you for that response. <laughs> let me, just, let me, let me since, since my name was brought up, so I feel like this is now like uh, oh, a <laughs> debate of uh, the politics, so it's not really a debate at all. Um, I was using it, Fox, as, as in a reference to he said that BCBAs have poor clinical skills, and I do agree with that. I had nothing, no saying. I agree with what Missy said about uh, the toilet training. I was referencing it to a newer article about that we need to improve our ability to be good clinicians. Go ahead, Joe. All right, so there's one that says, uh, can we please go back and respond to Oswin's comments instead, uh, comments instead of redirecting slash ignoring and going back to supervision? I think that what they brought up is, is critical. I'm sure many listening would be interested to hear as well. Uh, so I feel like we've talked about a lot, but Oswin, did you want to expand on um, what you were saying about redirecting or ignoring or anybody or Missy as well? I think, I think, um, I mean, still face um, study is so famous that like everyone knows it, like any parent knows it. So I don't know that I need to go into depth with that. So I'm going to leave it up to the rest of you to comment on that. Well, I mean, the, the only thing that, that I would say is our job as a BCBA is to work with the parents and the, and the clients themselves, right? Sometimes the client can't advocate for themselves, and so their parent is their, their voice. Um, and you pick those treatment goals with those, those parties. If the parent believes, maybe because they're white or maybe because they're rich or maybe fill in the blank, right, if they want their child to learn a skill – then our job is to either help them understand, A, why it's not an appropriate skill to teach today, or B, get more information about why that's such an important skill for them. Um, I, I think, Oswin, to your point that, you know, this notion of, of focusing on eye contact, that should not be a treatment goal unless the family, again, deems that it is something that they want their child to learn. And it's helpful to hear from people who have experiences that, it, that it's aversive. But it, there's but actually it's, research to support that it's aversive. Let me pull that oh, up. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm saying it's great to hear from you because you're verbalizing yeah. what the re, what we already learned in the research, right? But but your experience is one. But My that's why experience I want is one. To bring up the research. Let me pull that up because it is. I'm I'm not negating the research. What I'm saying is we have to remember that everybody, every single in has their own perspective. And our job as a clinician is to work with that client and their parent or guardian, depending on their age, to determine the appropriate treatment goals. We're not the expert. We're the expert in how to teach that skill once that skill has been identified. And so we have to make sure that we're working in tandem with the family. And I have to, I have to add to that, um, which I think addresses some of it but it's hard to know and it's hard to know with, you know, 50 questions popping up so rapidly. <laughs> um, 
But I, from my perspective as a behavior analyst, yes, you want to work with, with the child or, or the adult, uh, what they want, uh, and the parents when the children or adult can't advocate for themselves. But there are times as a behavior analyst that you have to go under what you uh, can do professionally and think is right professionally, whether it's a competency thing. So if it's outside our scope of competency, I can't do something. Uh, that I just can't work on it. So a kid might want to work with something, but if it's outside my scope, I have to refer. Or if it's something I fundamentally disagree with. And so an example I had early on in my career was I was in a very rural place in the Midwest and the family and the kid really wanted me to go into uh, talking about the pros of white supremacy, for example. <laughs> And I refused. Like, I, it's like, I'm not doing this. Like, that could be something important to you, but I'm not the right behavior analyst for you. I'm not going to do it. Wow. Um, because they, they have the right to learn that, but I have the right not to teach that, right? Um, because it's to me, it's just something I'm not comfortable teaching. And so I think we have to, we have to remember it, it's, it's a collaboration. And that's what we should be really shooting for is a collaboration that absolutely we need to listen to consumers' rights. Absolutely, we need to listen to their perspective on it. But remember, there are times where BCBA is just going to have to say, I can't work on this, and they need to provide uh, strong rationales. And this is why I keep on kind of harping on what you're saying is having good rationales. I think having that research to go back to, not just taking my opinion based off of the fact that I find um, eye contact a person, but knowing that there's actual research that shows activation in the brain, that shows it's painful for a subset of autistic people. So that we're not trying to force that into compliance when what we're doing is trying, it ends up being, uh, oh my goodness, I just completely lost the word. Uh, uh, when you do something over and over again so that you can desensitize yourself to the stimuli. Habituation. Thank you. <laughs> um, that's never gonna happen. That they show that that's what's shown is that it doesn't ever actually happen. All you're doing is making yourself dissociate from the pain or not show the pain. Well, by doing it so. so uh, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> We're at the hour mark. I think it's been a <laughs> wonderful conversation. It probably could go on for hours. We uh, only so have I, 25 more questions. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be here to seven o'clock and my kids would be pretty upset because I did promise I'd watch Hamilton with Alex today. Nice. So, um, yeah. So, Austin, I hope you were heard today. I hope Missy was heard today. I want to end it with a quote of something I really think is important. And then I will give the final... Um, code word for you BCBAs. Remember the first word was functional. Um, and so my quote here is something that uh, Joe and myself, Mary Jane and Bob Ross, I'm sorry to keep uh, name dropping Bob Ross, for some reason happens. And it, it, the quote is, it is important to frequently assess the acceptability of our interventions. Those within the field should uh, take every accusation that ABA-based interventions could be potentially traumatic for the individuals receiving those interventions seriously. As such, we encourage research to assess consumers' opinions of ABA-based interventions, as well as research which accurately measure potential positive and negative collateral effects of ABA-based interventions without biases or prejudice. I wanna say, uh, as Austin has said, 
as um, Missy has said, as Joe and I repeatedly say over and over, research is important. And we think research about both the positive and negative effects of behavioral intervention as it relates for autistic individuals is critical. We encourage that research. It needs to be done in a strong methodological way. So with that, the closing is relations. Opening is functional, closing is relations. Oswin and Missy, thank you guys so much. Yes, thank, um, you. thank you. Thank you. There's a bunch of questions, so we might do this in season two. Uh, <laughs> just so everyone knows, we're doing another one on August 12th, and then uh, one on, I think, August 25th or something like that. Then we're taking a month hiatus just to get a little break. Uh, but if Austin wants to come back, if Missy wants to come back, uh, or others, we are more than welcome to continue this discussion. So unfortunately, we just have an hour, and um, there's like 100 questions. <laughs> So thank you, everybody. Thank yes. you, Austin. Thank you, Missy. Thank you. Yes, thank you both. It's been wonderful. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye everybody.